Uh, you may not know this about me, but I'm a list guy. Um, and there's a reason for that. I, I have to make lists if I want to have any hope of remembering anything. Anybody with me? Who else is a list person here? Okay, so I'm, I'm not alone. Well, over the years, um, I've developed my system of lists and processing, and that's because I've learned that if I don't do that, I will surely not get anything accomplished, or I will certainly miss um, many or most of the details that are, that are necessary. It just kind of became required. Somewhere in the growing up phase or early adulthood or whatever, I finally figured out there had to be a way, way to do this. Now, now, Becky's wired a little differently than I am, uh, not to say that she doesn't utilize lists because she certainly does, but she is, Becky is so uh, mentally equipped that I honestly think she can operate just fine without any list, and that's because she has what we refer to as a female memory. <laughs> Me, on the other hand, I have what we as known as a male memory, which we all know is substandard to the female memory. Come on, ladies, where's my help this morning? <clears throat> In fact, sometimes it can annoy her that I have to have lists to do everything. She will almost, with, with a bit of a smirk on her face, she did this last night or something. She said, don't forget we need, I think it was dog food. We're out of dog food, okay? She said, and then she said, do you need to write that down? <clears throat> and I did, and I wrote it down. <clears throat> so I remember to get, so that our dogs get fed. That's, that's perfectly fine. And she's even asked me, because I can tell it kind of annoys her at times. Why do, why do you have to write everything, why do you have to write everything down? To which I simply say something like, I only write it down if I need to remember it, if the plan is for me to remember it. And then I've said to her, so why, why don't you have to write everything down? And the response is always the same. I've watched her do it for years. She gets that pretty little look on her face, and she goes, which means I hold it right up here. And I always say, mine works a little bit different. It's something like this, and straight on through. How many guys are with me this morning? <clears throat> well, that's the, way, that's the way it works. Some of you might even remember one of the first sermons that I preached about seven years ago after becoming the pastor was where I talked about the fact that anytime I walk out of a location or like if I've been in a restaurant or uh, been in an office somewhere or a place of business, because I, I have to have a system to be sure I walk out with everything that I walked in with. And it's a little tune that I taught you. How many remember that little tune? Yeah, that's what I was afraid of. Some of you remember it. It's to the tune of London Bridges Falling Down. But it's this, I have to, and I do it now quietly to myself, I don't want to embarrass myself, but when I walked out, I was at the dentist's office this week, and I walked out of the dentist's office, and I went, wallet, glasses, keys, and phone, I got to have those four things. Because if I don't, it's very possible I will, I will leave some of them somewhere. Here, here was the part that surprised me. How many of you remember me, me telling you that? Anybody remember? Come on, raise your hand if you remember me telling you that. Here was a surprise for me in, in uh, becoming one who preaches to you on a regular basis is I literally threw that little um, song in. It wasn't part of my notes, wasn't part of my plan. I had no plan to discuss it all. I just kind of threw it in just telling you what, what it's like for me. And that was the only thing you remembered from that sermon that day. 
which was kind of a heartbreak, but I got over it, and I've forgiven you, and we move on. So we do have a um, business meeting to get to this morning. We're excited about the possibilities that are before us, and so I have just a, a few minutes to share with you. But in my few minutes to talk with you this morning, I want to talk about how quickly we forget, how quickly we forget. And I really want your faith to be built this morning because I know what it's like when the enemy comes on with us about something, our current battle, our current problem, and our faith can sometimes just almost plummet or at least it seems to get far from view. And I have freely admitted to to many of you privately, and I've probably done it publicly, that anytime I'm speaking from this pulpit, I'm preaching first to Dan, okay? I am usually, whatever I'm bringing to you, it's something that I either I'm personally convicted about or I feel personally challenged about, and certainly that's true uh, again this morning. Have you ever noticed how closely together can be the experience of you singing uh, and worshiping unto the Lord and having a time maybe in corporate worship like we had this morning, you can have that experience and how closely to follow can be you grumbling about someone or something or life circumstances. Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand to that. But am, am I telling you the truth this morning? You can be an inspiring exciting, uh, thrilling time of exalting the Lord Jesus, taking into the heavenlies and remembering how good God is and that can happen, and you can walk straight out the door, and sometimes before we get to the car or by the time we get to the car, we're already grumbling about something or concerned about something or worried about something or, or, or speaking disparagingly about life circumstances. Who is it, who's, who's that true of besides me in the house? Anybody else? Okay, a couple of you, all right. We're going to have an altar call for liars at the end of the service. It's part of our human nature, and it's who we are. And it's just, uh, it's the way it is. But I want you to know that you're not alone. As I read something to you, I'm going to ask you to turn to Exodus chapter 15. As I ask the question, listen to me please. Can a huge Red Sea miracle Huge red, how many of you remember the Red Sea miracle from the Bible? Can a huge miracle like the Red Sea, can it wear off in just three days? That's the question. After seeing this incredible, amazing act of God, and seeing God do something that we're still talking about here millennia later, and, and, and we understand what happened and what God did that was so amazing, is it possible that after seeing that, that complaining about God could still take place after that? Could something of that magnitude literally be forgotten in three days? As we look at it this morning, it would behoove all of us, starting with me, to ask ourselves this question, God, could this be true of me? Do I quickly forget what you have done for me, even if it is uh, like a Red Sea parting in my life? Can I sing with the choir on Sunday and start grumbling by Monday or by Sunday afternoon or by the time I get to the car? 1 Corinthians 10, I, I lay this as a foundational understanding of why I'm going here in Scripture today, but, but 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11 tells us that when we read these stories 
that we're going to read in the, Old, in the Old Testament, they are, according to the Bible, they are there for our example and they are there for our instruction. In other words, we're supposed to learn from what we read in the Old Testament, these stories that take place. So, is it true of Dan? Is it true of you that we can see God do something absolutely extraordinary, and yet by our next challenge, our next hurdle, our next struggle, our next battle, we are doubting and complaining as if nothing has just happened, just as if we've not even witnessed the mighty hand of God? And the question comes, so how many times does God need to do something so that when I face my next battle, or maybe even a similar battle to the one I've just faced, then I can say these words, the following words, and truly, truly mean it, and the words are these. If he did it before, he can do it again. Say it with me. If he... Just a slight more passion and enthusiasm, please. If he... Thank you. Now, having said that, I want to be careful to put something in place, that just because God did something before, that does not obligate Him to do it again. How many know we serve a sovereign God? How many know that you and I cannot necessarily anticipate how He's going to do it again? He's going to probably surprise us in the way He does it because He's the sovereign God of the universe, and He reserves the right to do it whatever way He's going to do it. It does not obligate Him to do it. However, it is still true. If He did it before, He can do it again. But the issue is this. Since I've witnessed the mighty hand of God do extraordinary things in my life or in this church or right in front of me, where is my faith to believe that God can and will do it again? That's what the question is, particularly when we have seen Him do it before, when we've seen Him perform mighty miracles before. We've seen things happen in Honduras uh, right before our very eyes, blind eyes healed. People get, out from, uh, get off of crutches and get up out of, out of uh, wheelchairs, right on the platform. We've seen tattoos disappear from faces. Our young people saw that right before their very eyes, incredible things. How many know we serve a mighty God who can do anything? Come on, say amen to that. And yet, because of our human condition, and yet because we are but made of dust, there is this tendency to allow our faith to wane when we're facing the new battle and the new thing that is on us. And you know what, church? We're not alone in this. The disciples in a boat face the same thing. They were basically going through some of the same tests over and over and over, and more than once we see them in a boat and a storm rising, and we see them screaming out to Jesus as if He'd never saved them before in that exact same situation. Carest thou not that we perish? And He has done it time and time and time again before. And what about the feeding of the 5,000? And followed then by the feeding of the 4,000. This is amazing to me that in Mark chapter 6, Jesus is getting ready to feed the 5,000 with five fish and two loaves. And then just two chapters later, in chapter 8, Jesus says, do you think, now we've got the 4,000, do you think we can feed all these people? And what was the response of the disciples? They said, well, where will anyone find the bread to feed all of these people? 
And you want to go, dude, it was just two chapters ago. Just two chapters ago. He fed a thousand more people then than we have to feed today. Where is your faith to believe that if he did it before, he can do it again? Was there no one around to say that? Was there no one around who was willing to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've seen God do something wonderful before us. And if if God can do that, he can surely do this again. Somebody say hallelujah today. And yet, we can't find anywhere in Scripture where someone had the faith to stand up and say that. But the passage I want to draw your attention to this morning is in Exodus 15. If you have your Bible, you want to go there. <clears throat> Exodus 15, I'm going to start with verse 18. And it says this, The Lord will reign forever and ever. That deserves a hallelujah. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and charioteers rushed into the sea, the Lord brought the water crashing down on them. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine and led all the women as they played their tambourines and danced. And Miriam sang this song, and I'm on a certain version of Scripture this morning, but i got to say it the way I've always known it and sung it. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. And with tambourines and dancing, rejoicing over God, looking at what all he has done and thrill their hearts, excited and ecstatic at what, was, what had taken place. Look at verse 22. Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea, and they moved out into the desert of Shur. They traveled in this desert for three years. Is that what it says? Three months, three weeks. They traveled in this desert for three days without finding any water. And so here we have yet another water dilemma. Verse 23, when they came to the oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Marah, which means bitter. And then the people said to Moses, if he did it before, he can do it again. If that's what your Bible says, you need to rush out this afternoon and get a new Bible. Verse 24, then the people complained. Now, how long has it been since the Red Sea? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. And the people were complaining and turned to Moses, what are we going to drink? They demanded. Now, God is just part of the Red Sea. How many think he might be able to make the bitter water sweet or palatable for them to drink? Listen, the Red Sea miracle was huge, enormous. How many think if you had experienced a Red Sea miracle, it might have gotten your attention? It might have made an impact on you. No matter what anybody says, it was a big deal. Now, I have for years followed the writings of a certain uh, Bible commentator. I I really, truly enjoy most of what he has to say. Uh, It's because for me, there's always plenty of meat on the bones, so to speak. You have to learn, but you have to learn as with any Bible commentator, you have to learn to uh, eat the meat and spit out the bones. We've, We've learned that here for years. The issue that I finally figured out 
this commentator, his writing style appeals to me. The, um, I love much of the truth that he brings out. There's great value for me in following this commentator. I've read him literally since I've been in high school. <clears throat> but the issue with this commentator and I've, that I've figured out after a while is he does not believe in the supernatural. Does not. He finds um, interesting ways to explain all kinds of supernatural moments in Scripture. <clears throat> Scripture. He is what is referred to as a cessationist or cease, which means he believes that spiritual gifts such as speaking in tongues, healing, and prophecy, it ceased with the apostolic age. In fact, if you read his writings, you even find him um, justifying and giving natural causes why uh, many things took place even in the life of Jesus. The opposite of a cessationist would be what we call a continuationist, which refers to those who believe that spiritual gifts are for today and that they are continuing yet today. Healing still takes place today. Prophecy still takes place today. Speaking in tongues still takes place today. Do we have any continuations in the house today? All right. But this commentator who... who there's a lot of good there. It really is. doesn't believe in miracles. In fact, and I'm going to bring you to one that's going to knock your socks off here in a second. He, he has, um, he's a bit audacious when he writes things like, Jesus never walked on water. Rather, he walked on an unnatural growth of lily pads that were growing there at that time. He also wrote... <clears throat> When it comes to defeating, <laughs> you're gonna, folks. I can't make this stuff up. I really can't. I'm not that good. When it comes to the feeding of the five thousand, Jesus never multiplied the loaves and fishes. Rather, when he had now, this is a bit of a paraphrase. When he had them bow their head, he had the disciples run into the caves and bring out the baskets of food for five thousand people. I mean, come on. Can you imagine that? Father, we pray that you would just um, come and do great things. Hurry up, hurry up. And we thank you that you're going to multiply. Oh, look at this. It's a miracle. Again, I, his other writing is spectacular. He just didn't believe in miracles. But the craziest one is when he said that God did not actually part the Red Sea. Really, he was saying it was down in the wilderness, and it was called the Reed Sea. R-E-E-D, the Reed Sea, and it was only, it was at three and a half inches of water in a little creek, and so when it was time to cross, they just kind of hopped over the creek and moved into the promised land, okay? And I'm going to tell you something. When I read that, this was this continuous response. I looked at that, and I went, hallelujah, only God could drown the entire Egyptian army in three and a half inches of water. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Who else could do that but God? Let me just ask you, how many of you believe in the miraculous this morning? Let me see your hand. Let me just tell you, if you're part of this church, there's too many things that have happened just this year not to believe in the mighty hand of God. When you do not believe in the miraculous, then all kinds of nonsense can emerge, let me tell you. So, 
Let me back up. I know we're looking at Exodus 15. Let me back up one, one uh, chapter starting in 15. God tells them to go forward and to get moving, and he will perform this miracle. You won't be responsible for the water. You don't have to be responsible to worry about the Egyptians. All you need to do is walk straight ahead, and I will take care of your enemies as you go forward. There's a, there's a lesson for us in that today. I will take care of your enemies as you go forward. And I love what we see in verse 19 of, of this uh, chapter 14, where we see that all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord, who had been leading them, went to the back of the camp. It's an interesting note in the chapter there. And basically what he's saying to them, I'm not only leading you, but I've got your back as well. And then we also see, many of you have heard about the pillar of, of the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. We also see that the cloud also moved behind them, settling between the Egyptian and the Israelite camps, and it becomes then not only a pillar of cloud, it then becomes a pillar of fire. And then it's through that song of Miriam that I quoted a while ago that we learn what God actually did. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. And it is stunning to see what God actually did. But it's not like what God did was not like what young Johnny, nine-year-old boy, coming out of Sunday school, he darted out of Sunday school like a wild stallion to tell his dad, Dad, we heard the most amazing story today. We learned about Moses and the crossing of the Red Sea. Dad, you will not believe this. Dad said, really? What happened? Johnny said, well, Pharaoh had his Egyptian army chasing the people of Israel. So the Jews ran as fast as they could. The Egyptian army was getting close. And so here's the way it went, Dad. Moses got on his walkie-talkie, and he called the Israeli Air Force to bomb the Egyptians. And while that was happening, the Israeli Navy built a pontoon bridge so the people could cross over the Red Sea. Hallelujah. And Dad said, well, Johnny, wait a minute. That doesn't sound quite like the way I remember reading it. Are you sure, Johnny, that's, are you sure that's what happened? Johnny said, no, but if I told it to you the way they told it to us in Sunday school this morning, Dad, you would not believe it at all. So let's read what happened in Exodus chapter 15. Start, start with me at verse 4. <laughs> Exodus 15, verse 4. Pharaoh's chariots and army he has hurled into the sea. The finest of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters gushed over them. They sank to the bottom like a stone in three and a half inches. <clears throat> Your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, smashes the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow those who rise against you. You unleash your blazing fury. It consumes them like straw. At the blast of your breath, the waters are piled up. Some versions read, at the blast of your nostrils, O God, the waters pile up, which means that God simply breathed and the oceans stood still. Does anybody need to join me in saying how great is our God? He just breathed and the ocean stood still. Verse 8, at the blast of your breath, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood straight like a wall. In the heart of the sea, the deep waters became hard. 
The enemy boasted, I will chase them and catch up with them. I will plunder them and consume them. I will flash my sword. My powerful hand will destroy them. But you blew, breath, you, you blew with your breath, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders. You raised your right hand, and the earth swallowed our enemies. With your unfailing love, you lead the people you have redeemed. In your might, you guide them to your sacred home. And all I can add to that is glory to the name of our God forever. Is there a hallelujah in the house today? Then, three days after God's nostrils had parted a sea, the children of Israel go from singing to grumbling. They go from singing to complaining. They go from singing to needing another miracle. And you just want to, as you're reading the story, you just want to shout to them, if he did the Red Sea, he can do the spring of Marah. He can take care of that. It's not even an ocean. It's a spring. Surely he can do it. It was a far, far lesser situation than their last obstacle which God brought them through. Where was the person? Where was the person to stand in the midst of them and shout, if he parted the Red Sea, then sweetening this water is nothing for him. Where was the person who had the faith to believe that? If he did it before, he can do it again. Say it with me again. If he Bethesda, in reading this and studying this, preparing to bring this word to you this morning, this is exactly where conviction fell upon me. Because I had to remind myself, Dan, as a believer in Jesus, as a follower of Christ, you are called to go from glory to glory, from grace to grace, from revelation to revelation, and from faith to faith. Say the last one with me. From Paul's writings to the Romans in that first chapter of Romans, he says this, and we're familiar with the Scripture, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And we usually stop there, but the next verse says, for in it, meaning in that gospel, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. That is our calling, church. Yet it is a challenge to all of us. All of us can feel challenged when we have our next battle, our next struggle, our next challenge, our next financial miracle that we need, our next healing that we need. We are called to go from faith to faith. And I had to remind myself, Dan, you shouldn't have to reboot the system every single time, like as if God has never done anything for you in the past. And I just want to say this again about our times of worship. Uh, let it never be in our thinking. Let it never be uh, become such an understood thing that we open the service and we sing songs and we take an offering and then there's this preaching and whatever. That time of worship is so critical. It is so important. One of our leaders may say, come on, let's just lift our hands and lift our voices and thank God for something He has done in our lives. You know, I would love to make it not an option. I have to make it an option for you because it has to come from your heart. 
But I want us to understand this importance and the significance. And you may not walk in here every Sunday morning and feel like doing that, but it doesn't matter what you feel like. If God has done something for you, then it's time to lift your hands, lift your voice, and bless the name of the Lord. So what are our worship leaders doing for us? They are arming us for the next battle. It's for your good. It's not for them, heavens, for heaven's sake. It's for your good. It's arming you for the next battle. They are helping us to position ourselves and come into the presence of the Lord and posture ourselves to remember that if God did it before, He can do it again. Because the way, listen to me, the way that you face battles is remembering what God has done for you in the past. That's the way you face it. If you've walked in here today not sure about your tomorrow, not sure about the challenge or whatever it is that you are facing, the way you face it, dear friend, is looking at what God has done for you in the past. You'll never be able to tell the Smith family that God does not heal. There's an incredible story. I don't have time to tell you this morning. I've shared it at a prayer service, and I may again sometime. An incredible story of my grandmother who was literally did not walk or take a step for two years, and in an instant of time, in the 1950s, God spoke to her, and she got up and walked, and when she got up, he instantly, she was down to 80-something pounds. She instantly went from 80 pounds to over 100 pounds in an instant of time. My family has all of the documentation of her physicians who attended her every day. Back in those days, they came out and administered morphine to her, expecting her to die. We have all the documentation of what the doctor said. This is what the story was. This is what we were doing. But this is exactly what happened. We can't explain it. It must be what they're referring to as a miracle. Duh. Yes. You can't convince me. Try as you might. You will never convince me that our God is not the, the healer. I've seen it. I've experienced it in my own life. I've experienced it with many of you as I've walked through battles with many of you, and it's been experienced in my own family. If God has done it before, He can do it again. And that is the way, dear friend, you face the current challenge that you have, whatever kind of challenge it is. Stephen, Becky, and I marvel every time there's another plea for we're getting ready to face another, um, another crusade. And when I look at the mountain of, uh, of finances that are still needed, we go, oh, my goodness, how does that happen? And yet God comes through time and time and time. You're still doing it. God comes through time and time again. If he's done it before, he can do it again, whatever it is. But instead of praying, instead of believing in faith, Going from faith to faith, the children of Israel start talking and complaining. It was Moses who cried out to the Lord while the people were grumbling at Moses. People talked to Moses. Moses talked to God, and Moses got God's attention. And I want to just take this moment to talk about that phrase, crying out to God. I just think it's so critical as believers. How many of you know what I'm talking about when I say cry out to God? You know, you may not want to do it in the grocery store. You may not want to do it in a public place. I don't care if you do or not. It's fine, fine with me. I'm sure it doesn't matter to God. But there is something to be said for the posturing of a heart of someone who knows how to. God, if you don't come through, it is hopeless for me. 
God, if you don't perform this miracle, we have nothing. And that sense of living in desperation before God. One of the things I think we face here in the United States is we don't know what desperation is. We we don't. We're going to be praying tonight. Pastor Brenda is going to lead us. We're going to be praying tonight in the prayer service about the persecuted church. We're going to learn about what's really happening in parts of the world where true persecution is taking place. I may share a little story on that. But we don't, we have never known, or rarely do we know what it is to be in such a desperate, with our with every resource within us depleted, to where we know what it is to cry out to God. I encourage you today, never lose the ability to cry out to God. With that when, when that something about that word, cry out to God, positions the heart that humbles you before the Lord, recognizes your your posturing before the Lord recognizes that He's the sovereign God. If He doesn't come through, you got nothing. Who knows what I'm talking about? How many of you still believe what James tells us, that the effectual fervent prayer, fervent prayer, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much? That cry goes out something like this. God, you see my situation. You see where we are today. But here's what I believe, that if you did it before, you can do it again. Can someone say amen to that? And so what does that really require of us? It requires that we believe and keep believing. We believe and keep believing. Just to believe for today will not get you through tomorrow. You must believe and keep believing. You may have experienced a Red Sea miracle But then guess what? Three days later, there's going to be another crisis. And that's when you keep believing that the God who got you safely across the dry ground of the Red Sea can get you safely to the other side of your current issue, which is why, church, we must be ever so careful that we don't go into a complaining mode three days after we've just seen the mighty hand of God. Because if you don't get Mara, the spring of Mara right, and the challenge of the bitter water just three days after the Red Sea experience, guess what? You're never going to be ready for Elam, which is just around the corner. That's the next thing. If you go to the beginning of the next chapter, chapter 16, the problem there is not the lack of water or, or bitter water. The problem there at Elam is complete lack of food. And it was all to teach them that if God can part the Red Sea, He can sweeten the bitter water at Marah, and He can fix the water problem. If He can fix the water problem at Marah, then He can provide for them what they need at Elam. I just need someone in the house to agree with me this morning that our sovereign God has no shortage of power whatsoever. That's what it is to go from faith to faith, from faith to faith. One of the greatest things that Jesus teaches us is when the disciples were in the storm in Mark chapter 6. This is uh, so telling about us. Jesus had just fed the 5,000 with the loaves and fishes, and then while the disciples were in a boat in the middle of the night, a storm blows in, and Jesus comes to them walking on the water. Jesus tells them, don't be afraid, take courage. I am here in his eye. He climbs in the boat, and the wind stopped, and they were just amazed. Why were they amazed? They were amazed because the Bible tells us they didn't understand the significance of the miracle they had just seen with the loaves and fishes. And then the Bible says this, because their hearts were too hard to take it in. Their hearts were too hard. How could that be? 
that your heart is too hard to take in a miracle that God has just performed for you. He simply wanted them to see that if he can do the loaves and fishes, he can calm a storm. I think God is asking us today, church, to keep our hearts malleable, nice word, soft, pliable. Don't allow the spirit of the age to take effect upon us to such a degree that we become cynical and hardened and we can't even understand or take in or or, or comprehend or even possibly see what the mighty hand of God is doing. It's like the sovereign God wanted the children of Israel to know that if he can part the Red Sea, he can fix the water problem. And he can provide food when it's needed, even if they don't know what it's coming from. It's going from faith to faith. And it's the lesson every believer must learn. So this morning, if you're facing a battle, you're facing a hurdle, a struggle, I don't think I'd be too far off to say that most of the struggles that we face are repeat struggles, most of us, in some form or fashion, may have different circumstances, different uh, details about it. But if you boil it down, it's essentially most of us face repeat struggles. And for most of us, it's God giving us the same test saying, I really want you to pass this. I really want to get you past this. And for those of you here facing a current battle, I am here to simply remind you this morning that the best way to face a battle The best way to win a battle is to remember what God has done in the past. It's not in the fighting, it's in the remembering. And sometimes the fight is to remember. And my encouragement to you is to take an honest look backwards today. Those of you who are really in the thick of the storm today, and I know some of you are, take a look backwards and just say, let me me just recount what God has done. Used to sing, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Let me just remember another time when God has provided. Let me recall those other sleepless nights when I walked the floors. I thought I just couldn't make it through. I didn't think daylight would ever come. I thought the night would never end. But I hung on to the scripture that says, weeping endures for the night. Oh, but joy comes in the morning. And I know what it is to walk that path. I know what that feels like. And so let me remember that you know what? I kept my faith in Jesus. I kept taking another step. I determined I would go from faith to faith. And you know what? Weeping lasted all night long, that's for sure. But he was faithful to his word and joy came in the morning. Let me remember that. Let me not forget The seasons of depression and anxiety and worry where God brought peace to my heart when I didn't even understand. It was peace beyond my own understanding. And not only that, but somehow in the midst of it all, when I couldn't even lift my head, He became my glory and the lifter of my head. Let me remember that. Let me put my mind back in that situation. It would change my perspective today. Let me look back to see that God has healed me in the past, and he can heal me again in the name of Jesus. Let me go back and remember that God has provided, provided miraculously for me and my family in the past. We had our, our backs against the wall. Anybody know what back against the wall means? Had my back against the wall. 
did not know how we were going to get through this week, and yet miraculously God came. Let me go back and, and remember that. And church, let us collectively remember today that if He can do oceans with just the breath from His nostrils, if He can do that, He can surely do springs today. If He can do loaves and fishes miraculously, and I still believe He did, if He can do loaves and fishes miraculously, He can speak peace to the storm that is swirling around you in the name of Jesus. Can you say amen to that today? Bow your heads with me just for a moment. I want to ask you just to do something. Everyone just stay where you are. Stay seated. Bow your heads. And here's what I'm asking you to do. I want you to get fixed in your mind for just the next minute or so the current battle that you are facing, the challenge that you have, financial, physical, relational, whatever it is, whatever the battle is that you're facing. I want you to get that. For most of us, that will not be a problem. <laughs> get it firmly fixed in your mind. What is it that you are faced with right now? Now, with that on your mind, the front of your mind, I want you to then find some way to go back and remember the last deliverance that God gave you. I want you to go back and remember the last healing that came to you or a family member. I want you to get those both in your mind. I want you to go back and remember the last provision. I don't care how long ago it was. The last provision that you received from the Lord. And I'm asking you to recall what God has done in the last year, the last three years. And some of us can simply recall what God did last week for us. And as you work on, as, as, as God's work on your behalf comes to your mind, as you're thinking about, here's what I'm facing today, but God, I'm remembering when you did this. If that's you, I just want you just, just to slip a hand up to the Lord. You're not motioning to me. I just want you to put a hand of thanks up to the Lord if that's you. Just remember what God did in the past as you're facing today. And then I want you just to slip a hand up to the Lord just as an expression. You say, well, Pastor Dan, what do I say? Just say thank you. Thank you for providing. Thank you for healing. Or thank you for helping me through that situation. Thank you, Lord, for breaking the chains that were holding me in bondage. As it's coming to your mind, just, just slip a hand up to the Lord and give an expression of thanks to the Lord. And then you be as specific as you want to be. Lord, here, I thought I wasn't going to make it. I thought this wasn't going to happen. But, Lord, this is why I'm choosing today to go from faith to faith. I'm going to remember today that if you can part the Red Sea, you can fix a bitter spring. If you can fix a bitter spring, you can certainly provide manna in the wilderness. If you can provide loaves and fishes, you can certainly calm the storm in me. Because we know this to be true. There is no shortage in your power. And what you are able to do when we are willing to reach out to you in faith. Today, Lord, give us the grace to go from faith to faith. Help us to not be guilty of experiencing your mighty hand of power and seeing what you are able to do in miraculous ways and to go straight from that into 
grumbling about today's problem. Teach us to go from faith to faith. Help us to be able to declare as David did. I was young, but now I'm old. But this one thing I know, I have never, ever seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. And let us also remember that the Lord is our light and our salvation. Whom shall we fear? For who is like our God? Awesome in praises, doing great wonders. Who is like the Lord? There is none like you, Jesus. And so we give you praise and thanks, Lord, even as you are fortifying within each of us to be people going from faith to faith in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church said, and the church said,